Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Sawadikap. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today we're in chapter 13 of our group learning program. This chapter is titled Identifying Cravings, Cultivating Non-Clinging in Analysis of the Mind. It's chapter 13 in this book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Enlightenment. If you've been in this group learning program for any length of time, then you know that what we do is we progress each week each Sunday, we are diving into a various chapter and ensuring that we're helping you to develop your life practice by sharing the teachings of the Buddha. But as you learn the teachings of the Buddha, it's important that you do the work in order to implement the teachings into your life practice. There's this aspect of intellectual learning, which is reading books, listening to podcasts, coming to these online classes, watching the videos, seeking personal guidance with your teacher and all these other methods and resources that I share in order to help you learn the teachings. But then you need to reflect on those teachings and be able to understand them through your own reflection or contemplation or pondering the teachings and seeing if indeed they're actually true or not. Because when you discover that they're truth, then you have wisdom. And then you start moving these teachings into practice. And sometimes you don't really discover that it's the truth until you start moving the teachings into practice. And when you start practicing the teachings, you can see through your own independent verification that these teachings are true and it's leading to more wisdom, which allows you to make wiser decisions leading to more wholesome outcomes. Well, today, this topic of identifying your cravings, this is a very important topic as it relates to developing that independent practice, this independent journey that you're on in order to move to enlightenment. While there's teachers to help you and guide you along this path, it's really each individual practitioner doing the work themselves because you're the one who chooses to meditate, you're the one who chooses to read the books, you're the one who chooses to come to class, you're the one who chooses to do all the various aspects of progressing in your practice. And so far in this group learning program, I've taught you a number of things. And today, a lot of those things are gonna converge together into helping you develop this very important skill that I call identifying your cravings, cultivating non-craving and analysis of the mind. So I'm going to share with you guys what this is and how to progress along this path. Because in addition to meditation, this skill that I'm going to share with you today is the next most important aspect of your practice. Without understanding this, there's no way that you would be able to actually make your way to enlightenment. So in order to progress in our talk today, I would like to first start 
helping you to remember what is craving desire attachment. If you've been in this program for any length of time, we've covered this at different times. But if you're joining us for the very first time, you might not have this understanding. So before we go into talking about identifying cravings, let me explain what craving desire attachment is and kind of build you up to the skill that I'm going to be sharing with you today for you to develop. And then as part of our class today, we're going to actually be doing a group activity in order to help you cultivate this skill. So I'm going to be sharing some teachings with you for a while, but then we'll move into a group activity that will help you to develop this skill, much like you have developed meditation and other aspects of your practice. This is a skill that's important for me to help you to develop. So what is craving desire attachment? Well, craving desire attachment is a mental longing for something with a strong eagerness. You might have observed this when the mind is pulling towards the direction of the objects of its affection. There might have been certain wants, certain things that you wanted really bad, and you felt the mind pulling in that direction. Or you had certain expectations, and the mind might even be grasping, kind of like reaching out for something and trying to pull it in and hold it or cling to it. This is craving desire attachment where the mind is longing for something. And the mind does this because it thinks that this object of its affection is going to bring lasting satisfaction. But in reality, what it is, is the mind is chasing after these pleasant feelings and it's basing its pleasant feelings on some condition. So the mind sees in a magazine or on TV or a friend or somebody in the neighborhood has a new pair of shoes or a new car or some other item and or you just come up with the idea yourself and you're like oh i just gotta have that i just want that so badly and the mind chases after this object of its affection thinking that it's going to somehow bring lasting satisfaction but in fact what it does is it brings these conditioned pleasant feelings this conditioned happiness or this conditioned excitement or elation or thrill, euphoria. And it's conditioned on some impermanent condition like new pair of shoes or a new job or a new friend or something else that you might be longing for. And you feel like if you just get that, that the mind will be content and peaceful, but it's not because it's basing its inner feelings on this impermanent condition. But nonetheless, because the unenlightened mind doesn't have the wisdom, it lacks this understanding, it keeps chasing and chasing and chasing after the objects of its affection. And this is what causes discontentedness. If you've studied the Buddhist teachings on the Four Noble Truths, then you understand that the cause of all discontentedness in the mind is craving desire attachment. So those conditioned pleasant feelings, the mind is unstable, it's unsteady, it's shaken up. Or painful feelings like sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear. The mind is basing its inner feelings on some condition and therefore it's now angry or sad or irritated or some other painful feeling. And we also experience feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant. And this is all based on craving desire attachment. The mind is having this mental longing with a strong eagerness and because that's in there, the mind keeps getting shaken up over and over and over again until we eliminate the craving desire attachments. 
that's what actually solves the problem is by eliminating craving desire attachments but how could you eliminate them if you can't identify them so that's what we're going to be talking about as part of today this craving or desire attachment it's part of those three poisons part of the three major problems that the buddha discovered craving anger and ignorance or this unknowing of true reality this is why the mind is experiencing the unenlightened mental state and in order to get to the enlightened mental state we need to eradicate craving anger and ignorance it's not until we remove those pollutions of mind and transform them that the mind can then function through what's called the three wholesome roots so as long as it's got these three poisons or these three unwholesome roots or these three fires of craving, anger, and ignorance, also described as greed, hatred, and delusion, or sometimes we even call it confusion, where the mind is confused about what's causing discontentedness. The unenlightened mind, before you understand the wisdom of the Buddha, thinks that other people are causing us to be angry. We will blame others or we will blame a situation and we just blame others and therefore we keep getting angry over and over and over again because we never really solve the true problem because of this craving and this lack of wisdom this unknowing of true reality this ignorance we go around trying to address the problem by trying to control other people and getting other people to do the things that we want them to do or if people won't do what we want them to do we will have aversion we will have anger and hatred and ill will we'll push these people and situations out of our life thinking that's going to solve the problem but we don't realize that we're just stuck in this cycle of continuous discontentedness going around and around and around as long as we lack the wisdom of how to solve these problems in the mind then we're going to keep experiencing the same discontentedness over and over because it's the craving desire attachment that is the cause of the discontent mind and over time we can remedy this craving desire attachment we can diminish it through practicing breathing mindfulness meditation and generosity these are things that i've taught in the past that by having a regular practice of breathing mindfulness meditation and implementing generosity into your life practice you're training the mind to let go because the problem with craving desire attachment in this clinging is the mind is longing then it wants to hold on and it's not until we train the mind to let go through breathing mindfulness meditation and we train it to keep coming back to the breath and back to the breath back to the breath making it easier to let go of any arisen thoughts that the mind learns and is trained to then let go and it's only when we practice generosity through giving and sharing that we train the mind to let go and not hold on to things so tightly these are generalized trainings that we use in order to train the mind to eliminate craving desire attachment but if all we ever did was breathing mindfulness meditation and practice generosity we wouldn't be able to get to enlightenment because you need to do some kind of surgical elimination of specific cravings and you need to be able to identify your own cravings and then surgically remove them with breathing mindfulness meditation and generosity that's that generalized training to kind of soften up the mind and get it ready to release craving desire attachments but it's not until you can identify individual cravings 
that you can then put together a plan to how to eliminate these cravings so that you will no longer experience continuous discontentedness in the cycle as each time these cravings are triggered, the mind keeps experiencing discontentedness. It's only when we eliminate the cravings that the mind will no longer experience discontentedness on that specific topic. That's what I'm going to be teaching you today. The craving desire attachments are the fuel that causes rebirth. So not only does craving desire attachment cause discontentedness, but it's also what causes rebirth. So by solving the mind's problem of craving desire attachment, and you can see the truth for yourself that the discontentedness is gradually diminishing in this life. Not only are you solving that problem by moving to enlightenment, but you're also solving this problem of the cycle of rebirth where we're all continually reborn until we eradicate ignorance, acquiring wisdom, eliminating this unknowing of true reality. It's only then that the mind is fully enlightened, completely enlightened, and then we no longer experience discontentedness and we no longer experience rebirth. So we've solved this problem entirely. So we focus on solving the problem of discontentedness because that's kind of like the pulse that we can tell whether our practice is developing or not. If we observe the diminishing of discontentedness over time, then we know we're moving in the right direction and we focus on that. But you should also understand the bigger picture that through eliminating discontentedness by eliminating craving, desire attachments, you're also solving this much bigger problem of the continuous rebirth that's happening on a continuous and ongoing basis. So I'd like to pause here and see what questions you guys have just on this little recap to help you guys remember what craving, desire attachment is, or for anyone who's new that's joining us for the first time, helping you to understand this craving, desire attachment, because the way that we use these words, craving, desire, attachment, wants, expectations, and others in common language is very different than how we use it in Buddhist teaching. So when we think about craving in kind of a common sense, we might think about a craving to eat something. Like you know, I have a craving to eat chocolate or craving to eat ice cream. Those can be actual cravings as we define them in Buddhist teachings. But you can understand that the craving, desire, attachment we're talking here is this mental longing for something. And what you would like to get to is you'd like to get to where the mind isn't craving and longing for it, trying to hold on to it. But instead, you have a certain interest or you have a goal or you have an objective to accomplish certain things in your life rather than pursuing them with this strong eagerness and thinking that this object of your affection is going to bring some kind of lasting satisfaction where the mind is pulling towards that. So let me pause here, give you guys a chance to ask questions in Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. You can put those in the comment section or in Zoom, you can raise your hand electronically and ask any questions that you like. Hello teacher. Someone wonders like a, when the mind craves for something, most likely it craves for pleasant feelings. So while knowing that these pleasant feelings are temporary, they are impermanent, but at least the mind experience is some pleasant feelings. So why eliminate these pleasant feelings? So what we're eliminating is we're eliminating these temporary pleasant feelings. And because they're temporary, they're dissatisfying. They're 
not satisfactory because they're going to arise, they're going to change, and they're going to fall away. And what you're trying to move to is this permanent joy where the mind can be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy regardless of what's going on around you, that there's no condition that is creating the joy. You wake up joyful all day long, the mind's joyful, and you go to sleep joyful all day long. But as long as you're holding on to these conditioned pleasant feelings that are just temporary, you're not going to be able to experience this permanent joy. So as long as the mind's chasing after and wanting these temporary feelings, it's not going to experience the permanence of having an unconditioned mind. It's kind of like this, if you think about it in terms of love, because we're going to be talking about true love in about two weeks. If you could have somebody have conditioned love for you, meaning they have certain conditions, and if you meet these conditions, they will love you. But when you stop meeting these conditions, they don't love you anymore. That might be called conditioned love. It's really not love at all, but you might call that conditioned love. And then there's this person who has unconditional love. Doesn't matter what you do, how you do it, they just love you regardless. They just love you as a human being. There's nothing you could do to make them ever hate you or fall out of love with you. They just love you because they love you. So which one would you rather have? Would you rather have this conditioned love where somebody has set out this criteria and these expectations and wanting you to be a certain way and only loving you if you do those things? Or would you rather have this unconditional love where someone just loves you just as you are? So it's the same kind of thing is this happiness, this conditioned happiness is that the unenlightened mind is saying, okay, if you give me those shoes, those new shoes, I'll be happy. But if you don't get me those new shoes, I'm going to be angry and I'm going to be frustrated. Or if you get me that ice cream, I'm going to be happy and I'll be happy for a while. But if you don't get it for me, I'm not going to be happy. Or if you take me to the movies and I get to see Superman or Superwoman, I'm going to be happy. But if you don't take me, I'm going to be frustrated and annoyed and irritated. So the mind is almost tricking you into doing these things. It's still your own craving, desire, attachments, but the mind is setting out these conditions and saying, if you meet these conditions, I'll be happy, but I'm only going to be happy temporarily. And then once you get me what I want, I'll be happy for a period of time, but then that's going to fade away and you're going to be right back to where you started from in these painful feelings. So you can eradicate all that and you can train the mind to no longer do that. You can train the mind that if I go see Superman and Superwoman in the movies, I can be joyful. But you know what? If I go there and the movie's closed or they've already sold out of tickets or for whatever reason, I can't see Superman or Superwoman, I'm completely fine with that too. Or if you would like to go to a new restaurant and you go to that new restaurant and the new restaurant's open and you can go in and you can enjoy food, okay, I can be joyful and enjoy that experience. But if I show up and the restaurant's closed or if it's full or they've run out of food for some reason, I can be joyful in that situation too and I can go to some other place. So what you're eradicating is you're eradicating this conditioned happiness, this pollution of mind that wants the objects of its affection. It's kind of like this dirty little devil that's trying to manipulate you into giving you everything that it wants. And as long as you give it what it wants, it will be happy. 
But as soon as you stop feeding it what it wants, which you can't feed it permanently, it's not possible, then it's going to revert to these painful feelings. So by eradicating this and training the mind, hey, I'm going to train you to be joyful and enjoy life regardless of what's going on. And when you can train the mind to that level, then nothing can shake up the mind. It doesn't get shaken up when the restaurant's closed or you try to buy the new pair of shoes and they've run out of your size or your friend was supposed to come visit you and they can't come because something else came up in their life and they're not able to come. So instead of being angry at your friend because they couldn't come, you'll just be able to recognize that this is impermanence, that something happened and maybe you'll see them in a few days or in a few weeks and you don't damage your relationship with this person just because they couldn't come and see you. So the mind can reside peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy regardless of what's going on when the mind is in the enlightened mental state. But as long as it's polluted with this craving, desire, attachment, it's not going to experience that permanently. So are you saying that the less cravings the mind has, the better life or the more peaceful mind one would experience? Yes. So when you're meditating, what you're doing is you're training the mind through breathing mindfulness meditation to let go, to let go, to let go. And the more in your daily life that you're able to do that, you're going to see the discontentedness diminish and you're going to see the peacefulness come into the mind. And this is also where you gain focus, clarity of mind, deep memorization and clarity or concentration because when the mind is polluted with craving desire attachment it's just selfishly chasing after its own desires then it can't experience peacefulness it also can't function with focus concentration clarity of mind and deep memory because it's polluted with this craving it's polluted with this anger it's polluted with this ignorance, this unknowing of true reality. So the mind struggles and finds it very difficult to function in life, having focus, clarity of mind, memorization and concentration. So it struggles in life. And when you clear out this craving, desire, attachment, you clear out this anger, this hatred, this ill will, this ignorance, this delusion, this confusion, this unknowing of true reality, and you purify the mind, through training the mind, now the mind can function optimally. And now in your personal and professional relationships, you can really blossom in those relationships and you can have more wholesome outcomes because now the way that you're functioning is through the purity of mind with these wholesome qualities of generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom, rather than with the unwholesome qualities of craving, anger, and ignorance. Thanks, Tisha. Let's go to Manan for Facebook questions. Yes, Denise has a comment on Facebook. She comments, I noticed today I'm on a sleep late and catch up on class later, later, but I realized that it was just a craving and I would later experience discontentedness. So I am attending class. This is new for me. Yeah, and that's essentially what we're going to be talking about today is helping you, which you're already starting to do, Denise, is identify your cravings and know when there's craving there and then know how to eliminate them. Because 
as I mentioned, breathing mindfulness meditation and generosity is this generalized training that you partake in on an ongoing regular basis. It's a generalized training. But to really go in there with like a surgeon's uh, scalpel and really kind of work with each individual craving and um, eliminate them, or the Buddha used the word obliterate them, that once you obliterate these craving desire attachments, then they can't arise in the mind because they're gone and therefore discontentedness can't arise either. But how would you ever eliminate the craving desire attachments if you can't identify them? So it sounds like some of you guys are already starting to be able to do that. And with the guidance that I share with you today, that will help you to more deeply identify your cravings and then put together a plan of how to eliminate them because you can't just eliminate them typically just once. You can't just do one thing and then boom, they're gone. There's usually multiple things that you need to do in order to eliminate any one particular craving. Thanks, teacher. No more questions. All right. So just talking a bit more about craving, desire, attachment, and what I have to share with you today is the number one goal of this path to enlightenment is to eliminate discontentedness. That's what you're working towards in order to get to this peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. This enlightened mental state is to eliminate discontentedness. And to eliminate discontentedness, we need to eliminate craving, desire, attachment, because that's what's causing the discontentedness. But as I've said a few times today, how could we ever eliminate craving, desire, attachments if we don't know how to identify them? So that's what we're going to be talking about as a connection to what we were talking about last week, about understanding the problem is craving and what's the solution. Well, what I'm sharing with you here is part of that solution. Identifying cravings is the second most important skill that you can have next to meditation. You wouldn't be able to attain enlightenment without meditation. Meditation is a required aspect of this path and particularly breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation. Those are the two forms of meditation that every practitioner is going to need. But also you wouldn't be able to attain enlightenment without understanding what a craving is and knowing how to identify them and knowing how to put together a plan to eliminate them. So that's what we're going to be doing today in order to help you develop that skill. So just like I've taught you how to meditate in training the mind to let go, I'm also going to be helping you to identify these cravings and put together a plan of how to eliminate them. What you're doing in terms of identifying cravings is you need to have a certain amount of mindfulness or right mindfulness on board. And that's why at the beginning of this program, I taught breathing mindfulness meditation and I continue to teach that as part of this program because you needed to have that on board first and start having this awareness of mind, this right mindfulness or this awareness of mind. That's how you're going to be able to identify these cravings. And when you identify them through awareness of mind, then you can actively apply right effort. Right effort is to eliminate unwholesome qualities and arise wholesome qualities. And you're doing this outside of meditation. Because remember, meditation, you wouldn't be able to attain enlightenment without meditation, but you also wouldn't be able to attain enlightenment with only meditation either. Your training of the mind is happening outside of meditation too. When you're at work or when you're at home or when you're doing other things, having right mindfulness and awareness of mind 
the Buddha says that right mindfulness or mindfulness is useful at all times. All waking hours, essentially, is what he was saying, is that you should always be practicing awareness of mind. And then when you're aware of the craving desire attachments and you know how to identify them through what I'm going to share with you today, you can then apply right effort to cut those off and eliminate them so that they will no longer arise discontentedness in the mind ever again. By eliminating these individual cravings through identifying them in analysis of the mind, then you're able to eliminate them once and for all and liberate the mind or bring it freedom from experiencing continuous discontentedness. What we're essentially going to be talking about today is how this mental discipline as part of the Eightfold Path is coming together in your daily life. So it's breathing mindfulness meditation and other things that I've been teaching you throughout this program that have all been coming together to get you to this point today where you can now understand what right effort is, what right mindfulness is, and what right concentration is. Right effort is taking the effort to eliminate unwholesome qualities and arise wholesome qualities. And we talked about this in more detail at other points of our program. Right mindfulness is the four foundations of mindfulness, but you can generally think about it as awareness of mind. And we talked about that in more detail at other points in this program. Right concentration is having singleness of mind, being able to focus on one single thing at a time in order to have concentration and focus and clarity. And again, we talked about that in more detail at other times in our program here. But all of these things are culminating together to have mental discipline where you can identify what these craving desire attachments are and eliminate them from the mind so that you can experience the benefits of that focus, that clarity of mind, that deep memorization, that concentration, which ultimately leads to this peaceful, calm, serene, content mind with joy, the enlightened mind. It's through practicing all those other aspects of the Buddha's path on the path to enlightenment that are going to help prepare the mind towards moving it to enlightenment. But it's this mental discipline that we're going to be talking about today in terms of being able to identify your cravings on an ongoing basis that you'll be able to then actively eliminate them because your teacher can't be with you all the time to help you. You have to be able to develop these skills by yourself. So just like you meditate on your own or you practice right speech on your own in your relationships or you practice right action, there's no teacher looking over your shoulder and ah, look, you, you messed up here. Or you, you, you skipped something here or, oh, you did that well. You're doing that really nice over here. That's not what a teacher is going to be able to do for you. So you have to develop this independent practice of being able to do these things on your own through your own mental discipline and identifying these cravings. So when I talk about identifying cravings, I use this analogy of the red light on the dashboard of your car. If you can think about discontentedness as a red light on the dashboard of your car, that if you had a red light pop up on the dashboard of your car, what would you do? Well, you'd probably pull over and investigate. You might even pull into a service station and see if there was a technician to help you. But you're certainly not going to keep driving down the road when you've got a red light on your dashboard and maybe even some smoke coming out of the tailpipe 
there's some problem here and you need to pull this car over and investigate and figure it out. So the mind is the same way. When you see any discontentedness arise, this is the red light. This is the red light telling you that there's craving, desire, attachment there and you need to investigate it. So if you observe pleasant feelings that are arising based on some condition, your mom's coming over to visit you. Oh, you're so excited. Or you're going to see one of your friends. Oh, I'm so excited. Or your partner or a friend is, leaves town for a while and you miss them and you have this loneliness and this sadness that sets in. Or you get this gift for the holidays and you just get, oh, so excited because you got this new gift. This is all showing you that the mind is discontent. The mind is shaken up. If you feel shyness or you feel uh, dissatisfied or you feel bored or you feel lonely, this is the mind's red light showing you that there's craving, desire, attachment. There's something in there that's causing this discontentedness. And you need to pull the car over. You need to kind of investigate what's going on here. And I'm going to give you steps of how to actually do that. Now, what you might end up doing is if you had a problem with a car is you might pull over and start investigating the fluids, the oil, the battery, the, the fuses. If you know a little bit about a car, you would maybe kind of start investigating a few things. But sometimes you need to take the car into the mechanic and have the mechanic or a technician to look it over for you if it exceeds your skill and what you currently have wisdom about. So you can think about this the same way is that when your mind becomes discontent, you should investigate that and see if you can resolve that and figure that out yourself. But sometimes you need to pull in and talk with a teacher. You need to say, hey, teacher, I'm having this experience. I'm having this situation happen. And here are the things that I think are the craving, desire, attachments that have led to this discontentedness. But I'd like to get your perspective. What's your thoughts on this? And that's where the teacher comes in. So as you do that each time, you come into contact with your teacher and you ask questions about this craving, desire, attachments and this discontentedness, you build your wisdom slowly but surely. And over time, you become better and better at identifying your cravings. And as you build up this wisdom and you build up this skill more and more, you're able to do those things on your own. Just like when I first started driving a car, I didn't know really much about a car at all. But each time I took the car into a mechanic, I would kind of ask them questions about what was wrong with the car. And they kind of showed me a few things. So then I started building my wisdom to be able to kind of solve some of the problems with the car on my own. But still, there was sometimes some really significant issues that I had to take it in to see the technician. So that's the same thing with your mind is anytime you see discontentedness, you should cut that off and let it go in order to help to eliminate the discontentedness, but then start looking at what's actually causing this discontentedness. So let me share with you guys the kind of steps that I suggest you go through anytime you experience discontentedness. Whenever you see this red light, whenever you see these pleasant feelings, these painful feelings, or these feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant arise, these are the things that you should look at doing. When discontentedness arises, the first thing you should do is cut it off and let it go. If you can observe it as bodily sensations, that's the best place to cut it off and let it go. Because before the mind becomes excited or 
euphoric or elated, there's going to be some bodily sensations that is alerting the mind that this discontentedness is about to arise. If you can cut it off there and let it go, that's outstanding. Or if the mind is about to become angered or frustrated or irritated, there's some bodily sensations that you may or may not be aware of right now. But if you start looking into this, there's bodily sensations associated with painful feelings. And if you can observe it there and cut it off and let it go, that's ideal. Even boredom and loneliness and shyness. Have you ever heard or have you ever experienced what people call butterflies in the stomach? Like if you were going to do some public speaking or some performance, someone says, I have butterflies in the stomach. This is the bodily sensations associated with shyness that is arising, those neither painful nor pleasant feelings. And if you can cut off this discontentedness at the bodily sensations and let it go, that's ideal because you save yourself from those becoming feelings in the mind. Because if they move past the bodily sensations, this discontentedness is going to become feelings in the mind. And still there, you can cut it off and let it go. But if you can't cut it off and let it go there, it's going to affect the condition of the mind for a few hours or for a few days. And still, you can cut it off and let it go there. But if you don't cut it off and let it go there, it's going to form mental objects. These are more deeply rooted in the mind. These are things like ill will or complacency, things like that. And this is what's called the four foundations of mindfulness, the bodily sensations, feelings, the condition of the mind, and mental objects. This is essentially the life cycle of discontentedness, that these are the stages that it goes through. If there's craving, desire, attachment in the mind, discontentedness is going to arise. First, you're going to observe the bodily sensations. Then it's going to become feelings in the mind. Then it's going to affect the condition of the mind more kind of short term, like a few hours or a few days. Then if we don't cut it off there, it's going to create mental objects, which is going to affect the mind more long term. So if we can cut it off and let it go at any of those earlier stages, that would be ideal. Anytime you observe pleasant feelings, painful feelings, or feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant, work to train the mind to cut it off and let it go. By practicing breathing mindfulness meditation and generosity, that'll become easier and easier. And once the mind has let go of any discontentedness, then you can move into number two, which is reflect on what cravings, desires, attachments led to the discontentedness. So if there's pleasant feelings in the mind, there's some cravings, desire, attachments there that led to it. So if you got really excited when your mom or dad or friend came to visit you, that shows you that you have craving, desire, attachment towards people coming to visit you perhaps, towards your family or friends. You might have a certain self-image that you're trying to uphold and you want them to see your new house or some new items in your house. You have to investigate this for yourself. You're not a bad person if you experience discontentedness. That's important to understand because sometimes when people share teachings, it's all about, am I good or am I a bad person? It's not about whether you're good or bad. It's just a matter of what exists is that there's craving, desire, attachment in the mind, and it's led to the arising of these conditioned, pleasant feelings. Or if you observe that the mind was really angry or frustrated or irritated, and you've been able to cut that off and let that go at whatever point, then you should look at 
and reflect on and contemplate and ponder what were the cravings, desire, and attachments that led to that anger? Why did the mind get angry? If you understand the Four Noble Truths and you're practicing right view, then you know that other people didn't cause your anger. So anytime you get angry or frustrated or irritated, as soon as the mind lets that go, you should always look inward and you should look to see what was it in the mind that caused that. Because by you putting your finger on that, that's where you can actually solve the problem. As long as we blame other people, we blame the situation, we can't solve the true problem. But by doing this number two of reflecting on the craving desire attachments, then we can identify the craving and then we can start putting a plan together in order to actually eliminate it from the mind. So this reflection, this is the analysis. This is the analysis of the mind, pondering and contemplating, trying to come up with and discover what are the craving desire attachments. The more extreme the discontentedness, the more craving desire attachments that are there. Early in practice, it's very rarely that it's just one craving desire attachment. If the mind has a bout of anger or rage, there's usually two, three, four, five, six different attachments that are in the mind that are arising these really strong feelings. Or if you get this euphoric feeling, this elation, these pleasant feelings, there's usually three, four, five, six different craving desire attachments that led to those pleasant feelings. Or if you get really deep into shyness and you're really, really, really deeply shy, there's probably multiple things in there that the mind is experiencing in terms of craving desire attachments. So you would like to uncover all of those. And if you need help with that, that's where you reach out to your teacher. You ask questions in class, you post a question in the Facebook group, you send me a private message, you schedule a personal guidance session, and you let me know about the things that you're experiencing and the challenges that you're facing. And you might even share with me, you know, teacher, I think it's this craving or that craving or these three or four cravings. Are there any others that you see that I should maybe look at and investigate? And part of that reflection after you've done that on your own is potentially in some cases reaching out to your teacher. And as you do that, then you'll build up the skill more and more and you won't need to do that as frequently. But initially, feel free to reach out to me as much as you like, uh, even as you go. There are students that have been studying with me for a few years already and they will still contact me sometimes and ask me about certain things that they're challenged with and they would like to just make sure that they're fully looking at the challenges they're experiencing and have somebody from the outside kind of look in and give them some things to think about that maybe they're not thinking about themselves. So that reflection is really important. Once you realize what the craving desire attachments are, then you would like to develop a plan in order to be able to eliminate the specific craving desire attachments that cause this discontentedness. You still would like to maintain your breathing mindfulness meditation and generosity on a consistent ongoing basis. But this is like a specialized little plan that you'll put together in order to eliminate and eradicate a certain craving desire attachment. And I'll give you some examples about that today. And then each time you see this red light pop up, this discontentedness arise, whether 
pleasant feelings, painful feelings, or feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant, just repeat this process over and over and over again and eliminating these craving desire attachments involving a teacher as you need help. So let me give you some examples here. Let's just say I was driving down the road and 5, 10, 15 minutes into the drive, I realized that I left the cell phone at home. And right away, the mind becomes fearful. I'm afraid that I left the, the phone at home. And the mind is shaken up about that. Well, that's the red light. That tells you, okay, there's some discontentedness here. That means there's craving desire attachments. So cut that off and let that go. Calm down. If you need to pull over to the side of the road, do that. But calm the mind down. And now start reflecting, maybe not in your drive, maybe after you get to your destination, but start reflecting on what is it that arose that fear in the mind? Ah, the mind is craving that mobile phone. I want that mobile phone permanently. And because I didn't have it, the mind had this fear because maybe I was fearing that something might go wrong in my day and I won't have the ability to call somebody. And that arose the fear because I didn't have the phone and the mind's craving that permanence. It's not comfortable with this impermanence of not having the phone. So now moving on to number three, developing this plan. So now that I know that the mind isn't comfortable with this impermanence of not having the phone and there's this fear that arose, now the plan would be, let me intentionally leave the phone at home a couple of times, three, four, five, six, eight times over the course of a few weeks and train the mind to be peaceful and content and joyful without the phone. So maybe sometimes I take the phone with me and sometimes I leave it at home. And this trains the mind to be content and joyful whether I have the phone or whether I don't have the phone. So now after training the mind this way and you realize that you've let go of this craving, desire, attachment, now, let's just say six months, a year down the road, you're driving and you're like, oh my goodness, I left the phone at home. Oh well, and you just keep on going throughout your day because you've already trained the mind that you don't need this phone. You've already trained the mind six, eight, 10 different times that you don't need this phone to have peacefulness and contentedness and joy that you've already gone outside intentionally multiple times without the phone, so therefore, your mind is no longer attached to it. It's no longer craving permanence. So then on a subsequent occasion, when you realize you don't have the phone, that's when the mind can just be like, okay, well, I'll just get it when I get home. No big deal. If I need to call somebody, I'm sure I can find a place to, to call them, right? So this is how you might go through this whole life cycle of experiences. Let me give you another example. Let's say you were out at the store and you bought a particular food, like a maybe like a chocolate candy bar or something. And your idea was that, okay, I'm gonna buy this chocolate today and then I'm gonna put it in the refrigerator. And when I get home tomorrow from work, I'm gonna enjoy this chocolate bar. And this is gonna be kind of my reward when I get home from work tomorrow. Well, you put it in the refrigerator, you go to work the next day, you're thinking about that chocolate bar. On the way home, you're thinking about that chocolate bar and you get home and boom, the chocolate bar is not there. 
and somebody has now eaten your chocolate bar, somebody in your home, assuming that you live with other people, right? Or maybe Little Red Riding Hood came along and ate your, ate your chocolate bar, right? Somebody ate your chocolate bar. And you, you might feel this frustration, this anger arise. Who ate my chocolate bar, right? Because you were craving it. You were holding on to it. You wanted it so badly. Well, there you go. That's the red light. That's the discontentedness. You can see, ah, I was attached to this silly chocolate bar. Can you imagine? This is where sometimes you have to kind of laugh at the mind, right? Can you imagine? I got angry at somebody eating a chocolate bar. My goodness, right? Like that's how silly the mind can be sometimes. You just kind of have to laugh at yourself. That can help you to let it go, right? Well, then you would like to reflect on that and and say, you know, what was it? Oh, I was craving that chocolate bar. Okay, well, now you reflected on it. You know what that is. Well, now you put together a plan. Maybe what you do is you go to the store and you buy three, four, five, six chocolate bars and you kind of hand them out and you practice generosity, training the mind to let go of food because you're holding on to food too tightly. Maybe you hand out some gifts. Maybe you buy some croissants or some bagels and take them into the office. Maybe you do some other things. When you open a bag of potato chips, you share them with other people. You start practicing generosity to train the mind to start letting go of food and not holding it so tightly anymore. And this is part of your plan to help you eradicate the discontentedness associated with holding on to food. And now when you buy that chocolate bar again in the future and you put it in the refrigerator, you know in your mind, this chocolate bar may or may not be here when I come back from work tomorrow. But I'm going to put it in here. And if it's there, I will eat it. If it's not there, then that's completely fine too. And I'll just go about my day. So you kind of get ahead of the curve knowing that when you put this chocolate bar in there this next time, that it may or may not be there when you get back. And it doesn't make sense for you to hold on to it so tightly that you're going to arise frustration or anger if somebody's eating the chocolate bar when you come home. So these are just a few examples to help you understand. Let me pause here and see what questions you guys have before we go on to our group activity. Well, so in a teacher student relationship, uh, identifying these cravings is a role of the teacher or the student or both of them. You should always make it your objective and your role to develop your own practice, that all of this is your independent practice. The teacher is here to provide guidance, but only as you seek guidance. That's why you don't see me sending you private messages. Hey, Donnie, did you meditate today? Uh, hey, Manol, uh, are you practicing generosity? Right? I'm not doing that because this is your practice. I'm sharing the teachings and you guys are coming for guidance. So you should always take ownership over your own practice. But the teacher is here making themselves available to this community and saying, I'm here to help you. I'm here to support you. And that's your objective or your responsibility to reach out and seek guidance as you need help. But even in that, when you reach out to your teacher for help, it's your responsibility to ask the questions that you need help with and then gain the learning and the understanding so that then you can go off and actually practice this on your own. Nick has his hand raised. Let's go to him. I have a question about uh, mobile phone, uh, using that example. 
I recall last year around this time, I was on a mountain with Jackson. And uh, we're, in, we're in Lake Placid, and we went to this, this wild center, which was uh, you know about 45 minutes away from the place we were staying. And Christina was going to meet us there with the girls. But uh, on this little this little hike, this little adventure we were on, um, it was so cold that uh, the mobile phone froze. And um, I didn't panic or anything, and I didn't know how Christina and, and, and the girls were going to meet us. So I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. You know, I, did, I, I, I noticed, like, oh, I must not have a craving to the mobile phone. But then, you know, even until, like, recently, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, when I'm driving or if I'm, if I'm doing some errands and, uh, you know, I touch my pocket or, or, or my bag or something, and, um, you know, I, I have, a, like, a quick thought in my head, oh, do I have my phone or, you know, do I have my wallet, something like that. I get like a bodily sensation until I pat the area where it's supposed to be. Now, would that be a craving or a, a quick scare? Like, cause I don't know if I left it in the store or something. So I'm trying, I'm just trying to think if that's a craving when you get a bodily sensation, but uh, you can quickly cut it off. Yes. You know, um, whether that, or not you do find the phone. Yes, that is a craving desire attachment where the mind is wanting this phone and trying to hold it permanently, not being comfortable with the impermanent nature of the phone. So uh, we're not yet to the group activity. Let's use this one, Nick, for our group activity because I'm gonna have you guys share these stories with me and I'm gonna help you to see what the craving desire attachments are and how to put together a plan to eliminate them. But if nobody has questions on this stuff, we can move right into that. But let me first just see if somebody has any questions on this process that I'm talking about here that you can lead the mind through in order to eradicate these craving desire attachments when you use discontentedness as a red light. No more questions for now, for sure. Okay, so let me explain the group activity and then we'll use Nick's example as the very first one because that's a really good example to, to talk about. So just like I've helped assist you in developing your meditation practice, I'd like to help you build this ability to identify your craving desire attachments. And remember that the craving desire attachment isn't the mobile phone itself. The mobile phone itself is just the object. It's not the craving desire attachment. This is just an object. It's just material. It's just plastic. It's just metals. It's, it's different components that have been put together to create the mobile phone. So it's not the mobile phone that is the craving desire attachment. It's how the mind relates to it. So that's what we're talking about here. Whenever we talk about craving desire attachments, we're talking about how the mind relates to these different objects around us and the different things that the mind is longing for. So what I'd like you guys to be able to do, whether you're in Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, is explain the situation where you experience discontentedness, whether it's pleasant feelings, painful feelings, or feelings that were neither painful nor pleasant. Discuss what it was that you feel caused the discontentedness. And what were the craving desire attachments that caused the discontentedness? And then if you'd like to talk about a potential plan that you see that would be helpful in order to eliminate the craving desire attachments, you can talk about that too. And then I can help you along the way. What you might 
decide to talk about is here's the situation, here's the discontentedness, but I have no idea what the craving desire attachments are. And if that's where you're at with your practice, that's completely fine. You just share what the situation is and I will help you to dissect all the others. But if you understand, okay, here's the discontentedness, here's what the craving desire attachments were, I think, teacher, you know, can you help me with some more? But I have no idea what to do in order to eliminate this. Then that would be a way to approach this too, perhaps. Or if you already kind of have an idea of what a potential plan might be, then you can share that aspect of it too. So through multiple people sharing, you will be able to get help individually on your own craving desire attachments, but you're also going to hear a bunch of sharing from different people. And through hearing the different people explain their different situations where the mind became discontent, hearing about these different craving desire attachments and hearing about these different plans that I might suggest or that other people might come up with, then this will give you kind of a a head start in understanding how to identify your own cravings and how to cultivate this non-craving and analysis of the mind where you can reflect on what the craving desire attachments are and how to put together a plan to eliminate them. So if we have, you know, five, six, eight, 10, 12 different people share over the course of today's class, then we'll have a real good sampling of different situations and different craving desire attachments and different plans that you might implement in order to help you so that that way you have a real portfolio of examples that you can maybe draw on as part of you developing your practice. The things that you hear today aren't going to be everything that you need, but at least it gets you a start to understand. So with Nick's example, where when he was out with his son, he experienced that, yeah, he was fine when the the impermanence of the phone arose and the phone froze up, he was completely fine. But he does notice that there's this kind of residual craving where he's got to observe and kind of touch with his hand whether he's got the phone or not, right? In that situation where he was with his son, maybe that's the real driver there that, okay, I'm with my son, so I know everything's fine. I don't care if the phone's in Uh, not working or not, because I know my son's fine and I know Christina's fine, no big deal. But maybe, Nick, what's driving this is that it's not just the attachment to the phone, but it's the attachment to the son as well. When you're out and about on your own, you're kind of maybe anticipating that there could be a phone call about the son. So therefore, it's creating this craving, this desire of do I have my phone or not? And that's where you're touching the phone and trying to determine if you've got the phone. And it's this repetitive process, this cycle that keeps happening over and over and over again. It's not that you're angry. It's not that you have this extreme frustration. It's just kind of like this little annoyance, this kind of little thing that just kind of keeps happening, this little ickiness. This is still craving desire attachment because you can think about discontentedness as the spectrum. On one side of the spectrum, like say one to 10, the 10 is like the rage, the fierceness, the extreme anger. On the other side, the number one is kind of like, I'm I'm irritated or I'm annoyed or I'm just feeling a little icky, right? And there's all these levels of discontentedness in between. Well, in order to get to enlightenment, you have to 
get to zero, where there's no discontentedness whatsoever, even these little tiny things that you're experiencing with the phone. So what I would suggest for you is to leave your phone at home intentionally multiple times and train the mind to be content without it. That's the way to train the mind to be comfortable with with this impermanence that you can't always permanently have the phone. And during those situations, you're probably going to feel uncomfortable. The mind's going to feel uncomfortable. It's not going to like that feeling of not having the phone. And there might be some worry. There might be some uncomfortableness. And that's the discontentedness that's arising. But then what you're doing is you're putting the mind in a situation where it's got to now find the peacefulness. It's now got to find the contentedness. It's now got to find the joy without this phone. And you do this, you know, maybe in a given week, you do it once or twice a week over the course of multiple weeks. And then gradually the mind gets comfortable, whether you're with the phone or you're without the phone, you're completely content. And you're not finding that you're constantly checking to see if the phone is with you. Okay, teacher, I understand that part. Uh, I li- I like to add some information. Sure. Um, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't. I don't think. Um, you know, I'm a. Uh, you know, just by like leaving it, I don't think that would that would pertain to this situation, um, because I read that in the chapter in the book, and uh, I was like, okay, but this is why I asked the question because uh, I think this scenario is uh, just a tad different. Um, I think it's I think it's like a little fear when I'm like uh, running errands if I'm going from store to store or something and then uh, then I like reach for the phone I'm like oh do I have that I think it's a little bit of fear of losing losing maybe you know like uh, my wallet or the PII on the phone the personal identifying information so I think it's a quick fear I get like a little bodily sensation you know like a stomach drop or a heart jump oh where is it you know um, but it's not uh, like when I'm just walking around the house, I got to have it, you know, I leave it all over the place. Um, so I don't think just leaving it at the home when I run errands would help because I think it's when I'm doing the errands, like the fear kicks in like, oh, do I have it? Did I leave it at the last place I was at? If that makes sense. Right. Would, would this uh, t- change the advice a little different? It wouldn't change it because remember, I'm not asking you to believe what I'm sharing. Instead, I suggest that you practice what I'm sharing and then you can see the truth for yourself so that if you leave this phone at home multiple times and you train the mind that you're going to be out and about without the phone sometimes and that's normal, then the mind can get comfortable without having the phone because what the mind wants is the mind wants the phone. It wants the phone with you. So I suggest you do this as a first step and do that for a few weeks, see how it goes. And then you can either check back in with me or you can figure out something else on your own. But I suggest this as a first step and see where you're at because these craving desire attachments and discontentedness, the way that it works is they're layered. It's like an onion and you're peeling back this onion. And as soon as you kind of clear off the top of layer, then you see what's underneath that and what's underneath that and what's underneath that. Sometimes I think of it like a garbage heap. When you clear off the garbage off the top, you realize there's more garbage and you clear off the garbage, there's more garbage and it just keeps on going. So we aren't going to be able to truly diagnose and and penetrate into the heart of what's happening until you leave that phone at home for two or three times a week over the course of multiple weeks and see how the mind functions with that. 
then we can see where we're at at that point. So that's what I would suggest to get you started. Thank you, teacher. I see. Uh, pleased that I asked. Yeah, me too. Our bus, she has a question. She says, teacher, I have some long-term discontentedness anger. I think that is that it is about my self-image, that I crave a positive and controlled self-image, that others admire me. What can I practice to work on this? Okay, so if somebody's attached to their self-image, then they're typically going to be spending a lot of time in the morning before getting ready. They might change clothes multiple times before going out the door. They might look at the mirrors frequently throughout the day and kind of check to see their appearance, that it's a certain way in order to project a certain image. Uh, this person might be really into their hair or their makeup or jewelry or purchasing clothing and these kind of things. So one of the things that you can do, and there, there's a lot of things that you need to do in order to eradicate this, but one of the things that you can do in the situation is you can stop paying so much attention to the self-image is you can take your clothes, whatever clothes you have, and you can just make stacks of shirts and pants or shirts and skirts or whatever it is that you wear and just stack them up. And rather than standing in front of your closet and selectively going through and using a lot of time to figure out which items you might wear in a given day because you're trying to project a certain self-image, instead just select the clothes that are on top of the pile. If you followed your clothes and put them on a pile, just select the ones that are on top and wear those. Don't allow the mind the opportunity to choose what you're going to wear. That's one aspect. If you're noticing challenges with clothes, or if it's that you're looking in the mirror a lot, then you've got to get rid of your mirrors in terms of if you're carrying one around in your purse or your handbag or in your pocket or whatever, you have to get rid of those. Or if you're wearing a lot of makeup, you need to really diminish and start to not wear makeup. I would need to understand more of what it is about the self-image that you're looking to project. And you need to strip these things out of your life. And it doesn't have to be permanently that you're stripping these things out of your life, but you need to strip these things out of your life for at least three to six months on a minimum side, and then more long-term, more like a year or so, because the self-image takes a long time to eradicate that from the mind, that the mind's holding on to it. So you need to really strip away all these different layers. And if I understand more, if you'd like to share today or you'd like to share another time, more about what is it with the self-image that the mind is trying to project, whether it's clothing, jewelry, makeup, hair, or what have you, because then that tells me what things you need to be stripping out. But you might know this without needing to even share it, that you can just strip these things out of your life, go three months, six months, a year without these things, implementing things like just selecting clothes off the top of a pile, and then not allowing the mind to project this self-image out into the world. This is one of the ways that you can reduce and eliminate the projection of a self-image into the world and train the mind to let go that you can be peaceful and content going out into the world wearing any clothes looking any particular way it doesn't matter and you can just be completely peaceful and content with that but in order to do that you have to kind of set up your environment in such a way that it doesn't give the mind an opportunity to choose how it's going to look when it goes out into the world Seems that our best she has some further question. Let's go to her. Oh, thank you, teacher. Um, thank you, Basu. Um, so I 
think it's more about that I have trouble when I perceive that other people are, um, are criticizing my speech or my thoughts, my suggestions, my ideas, not particularly what do I look like, but more that they're, um, they're, they're criticizing my mind or my, um, I guess, you know, what I, what I have to say or what I think. So I feel like I have this craving that others think that I'm smart or that I am thoughtful, that I am um, a person whose advice is wise, this kind of thing, mm -hmm. rather than what do I look like. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So this, yeah, so that helps. So this is like, what you need to do is you need to train the mind to become a nobody, right? What the mind wants to do is the mind wants to be somebody. You know, we're taught all our life, like you've got to be somebody, you've got to leave your mark on the world, you've got to do this and you've got to do this, you've got to be a productive person, you've got to accomplish these things. And if we don't do those things, then we feel like we're lesser of a person. So you've got to train the mind to be a nobody and not to identify with this label of the name, to not identify with being intellectual or being smart or wise and letting that go. And in certain situations where people might say something and you feel like you have wisdom to share and normally you might share, you need to pull the mind back and be like, no, I'm not gonna share today. And not allow the mind to project its smartness in that situation. So I know, I think you work in a university, in a college, and I imagine there's professors and students talking about intellectual things at different times, and it might catch your ear and you might typically share something that is your thought and you're kind of expecting a certain acknowledgement or at least not a degrading of your opinion. Well, what I would suggest you do for a period of time is in situations where you feel the mind pulling towards wanting to share, is that you don't share and, and you pull back. Now, if it's a situation with your boss or something that's really related to your performance of the job, of course, you need to do that. But in those situations where it's optional, where you're not really required to share, but the mind wants to share and look wise to others, instead pull the mind back and don't allow it to share and get used to not sharing. It doesn't mean you're gonna do that all the time. But at least for a period of three months or six months, you got to get used to the mind not allowing it to project its wisdom out into the world and expecting some kind of embrace by other people. And the way that you do that is when the mind wants to share, you just pull back and be like, no, I'm not going to let you do that today. And that's how you can train the mind to not expect a certain response or a certain admiration about your your wisdom because what's going to happen as you progress on this path is you're going to become wiser and wiser you're going to be wiser than you ever thought possible about these teachings and if we went around sharing with everybody every time we heard somebody say something that is unwise boy our work would be endless right like we would be just constantly sharing with people all the time so a person whose mind is wise but yet well restrained would be able to hear something that is unwise and know that I don't have to necessarily address that today. I don't necessarily need to share. I can just keep going about my day 
and just let that be. And I can let that go. Whereas if the mind wants to project itself and it wants admiration or if it wants to be recognized as being smart, every little thing that we hear that isn't wise, we're going to want to address it. So when you hear those things that are optional, things that you don't have to share, just keep going about your day and just know like, okay, I'm not going to share there. I'm just going to keep going. And then over time, that will train the mind to be a nobody in that you don't have to always share with people what your wisdom is. Let's go to Manal for Facebook questions. So we have a question from T. Uh, this question came in right before you described the group activity, T. Joe David. Okay. Um, her question is, Hi, teacher. If I want to be in a relationship with a guy, should I start eliminating my craving for a relationship first? Then I can welcome him into my life. Yes, that's best. Because as long as there's craving, desire, attachment for a relationship, we're going to have a tendency to sabotage that relationship. And we're going to be talking in two weeks about practicing true love and how to have relationships where we're not sabotaging them and we're not crushing them. Because as long as there's craving for a relationship, it's going to cause us difficulties and cause us trouble. If you would like to have a relationship, go ahead and have a relationship. I wouldn't tell you to have one or to not have one because sometimes there's a lot you can learn by being in a relationship. And there's also more than one way to eliminate a craving, desire, attachment. You can do what we're talking about here, which is completely eliminated through active training. But the other way to eliminate a a craving, desire, attachment is to actually fulfill it. So if I have this desire, this craving to go to Vietnam and I just want to come to Vietnam so badly because I've never been there before, I can either do what we're talking about here, which is actively eliminate the attachment from the mind, or I can just go to Vietnam, see what Vietnam's like, explore it. And then that's extinguished the the craving because I know what it's like now. But the problem becomes is now I want to go to the Philippines or I want to go to Japan and I want to go to all these other different places. So if you have a craving for a relationship, one of the ways to eliminate that is to sometimes fulfill it and actually have a relationship. But just keep in mind that in order to have a successful relationship, you're going to need to get to the point where you understand what true love is and that you can practice true love so that you don't sabotage and crush the relationship so that it can actually be successful and have a wholesome outcome. And if you're practicing that way and your partner is practicing that way too, then you can have a very successful relationship together that is very helpful for both of you guys. But until your mind understands what having love without attachment is, then what we think love is in the unenlightened state actually isn't really love. It's actually craving, desire, attachment. And that's where we end up sabotaging our relationships. So in two weeks, when you hear more about what love is, you'll be able to more fully understand that and then start learning how to practice it so that you can have successful relationships, not just with a life partner, but even with your children and your parents and other people around you. Those are all the questions on social media. Well, uh, one common situation that maybe many of us experience is that uh, we live in communities where most people are not exp- are not practicing these teachings. 
sometimes or for some people this arises some discontentedness so what is a craving in such a situation the craving is to have more and more people practicing the teachings perhaps uh, the craving could be that you're craving a certain amount of peacefulness and you think that if everybody around you were practicing these teachings it would be more peaceful uh, there's oftentimes multiple cravings in the mind and in this situation you have to train the mind to know that it's not possible for everybody in your community to be practicing these teachings to the level of depth that you're learning you have to let that go so what i would like you guys to have the opportunity to do is share situations where your mind is discontent don't be shy i know that you guys get frustrated i know you get irritated i know you get annoyed i know you have maybe extreme happiness and excitement in certain situations. Maybe you have shyness. Maybe you have boredom or loneliness. Maybe you have certain fears or guilt or shame that comes into the mind. Share what those experiences are. If you can think about the most recent time that you were frustrated or the most recent time that you were angry, share what that experience was, what the situation was. And if you know what the craving desire attachments were, share those as well so that then I can help you to identify more fully what those craving desire attachments are, and then you can understand how to put together a plan to eliminate them. This is what's gonna help you to build this skill. So don't be shy because your teacher already knows that you're having discontentedness or else you wouldn't be in class learning with me. So share those situations with Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, or you can raise your hand in Zoom, and then it'll give you a chance to learn. Marseille says, Teacher David, I have attachment to an outcome I have to control over. My dog has been operated on for a torn ACL as he was limping badly. The operation may or may not be successful. And conse consequently, I have worry each day, which is making me irritable for two months. I have had to monitor him that he, do, that he does not jump. I am sleeping on a mattress on the floor with him. Run, climb, stairs, etc. I still have one more month to go. Can you give me some advice, please? Yeah, so in this situation, you know, you obviously need to take care of the dog. That's showing loving kindness and compassion to the dog. So in this situation, it definitely sounds like there's attachment, right? The mind is holding on and clinging to the dog. So if your dog can return back to health, you know that you need to eliminate this craving desire attachment. And what you would like to do is distance yourself on certain situations, on certain occasions from the dog to train your mind to let go. And that might mean that you put the dog in the care of someone that you can trust and you can go away from the dog for periods of time, or you can have someone take care of the dog while you go away. Or if there's places that you can hire to take care of the dog for a period of time, even though you maybe aren't going anywhere. Maybe you're just staying at home and you can put the dog somewhere else and train the mind to not be around the dog because you're used to being around the dog like a child all the time. And the way to train the mind to let go of this other being is to distance the mind from this dog on multiple occasions. So if like this was a child, I would say, you know, have your child do a sleepover at somebody else's house in certain situations, maybe a couple of times a month or a couple of times every two months to train the mind that 
you can trust other people and you know your child's going to be okay in the care of other people. So the dog's the same way is that you need to put this dog in the care of other people and step away from the dog for a few days, a few weeks and train the mind to create some distance here and realize that you can go on with your life with the dog or without the dog. And you're probably going to need to do this multiple times. And when you go away from the dog and you come back, you shouldn't be, oh, I'm so excited. Oh, I'm back with the dog. Yay, 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 yay. Here's those pleasant feelings. Or or if you have like a countdown, you know that you're going to see the dog in three days and you're just like counting the days until you see the dog again. And then you get those pleasant feelings. You've got to be very calm and very collected. And when you place the dog in the care of others and then it's time to rejoin with the dog, just do that calmly and peacefully, not with all this excitement and thrill because that's the mind latching on to this dog and arising those pleasant feelings now that you're back with the dog you need to cut that off and let it go so don't allow the mind to do that once you rejoin with the dog our passage writes the most recent frustration my sister and brother-in-law insisted they visit us as a result my husband and i now have covered 19. I'm trying with mixed success to not be unhappy with my sister and brother-in-law. Okay, so here this is the mind craving permanent health, right? Thinking that this physical body is going to permanently be healthy. As you might be able to hear, I'm a little bit sick here as well. Not COVID-19, but a little bit sick. So this physical body is going to get sick sometimes. That's part of the physical body being impermanent. There might also be another level of a discontentedness there because it is COVID-19 and there's always the potential of death, which it doesn't sound like that's going to be the case here, but there's always that potential. So there could be this fear of death that's in there and the mind's holding on to this physical body and holding on to this world. So you have to train the mind to let go realizing that this physical body is impermanent, that your brother-in-law or sister-in-law or whomever didn't intentionally give you this illness. It just happened as a part of their visit. And that now that this physical body is impermanent, you have to recognize that and recognize that you've been sick many times in your life. And while the health is impermanent, the sickness is impermanent too. You can get over this. So one of the ways to let go of this physical body and to let go of the world so that you're not afraid of death is to actually contemplate your own death. We're going to talk about this as part of chapter 17, which is coming up in a few weeks, where I'm going to teach you how to confront your fears. And this is part of how to eliminate the craving desire attachment. So I'll just give you a little bit of preview of that. So what you would like to do is sit down quietly with yourself and contemplate your own death as if you've actually died, almost convincing the mind that you've died, almost like you're a fly on the wall at your own funeral. And then experience that as if you've actually died. And then after 20 minutes or 30 minutes, then you can observe that, okay, you haven't died, that this physical body is still here, but then observe any feelings that arose as a result of being confronted with death. 
and then deal with those feelings. If you realize that there's certain things you haven't said to your partner or to your parents or to your family that you would like to say before you die, then go say those things and go talk to them. Or if there are certain things you haven't done yet in this life that you would like to do before you die, then go do those things. And you might need to do this. You most likely will need to do this multiple times. It's not just a one-time thing, but maybe once a month, once every two months, sit down, just you, and contemplate your own death and convince the mind that you've actually died and see what thoughts arise and realize that you are going to die. There's no way to get around that. Everybody is required to die because we are all born, we have to die. So the way to get comfortable with death is not to shy away from it, wait until death's on your doorstep and now the mind's discontent. Instead, now confront death, face your fears, observe that you are impermanent this physical body is impermanent you will die and then just address anything that comes up in the mind so that now you don't have to fear death anymore and this can progress as you do multiple sessions of this over many months the discussion between a friend and i he shared that he feels a discontentedness when he is with someone who is trying to show off or to to appear or to be perceived as a successful person, what may be the creeping in this situation? Okay, so this is your own arrogance. This is your own conceit, your own pride, right? This is how the unenlightened mind works. Is it wants this pecking order, right? And if somebody else tries to be the alpha male or the alpha female, you're like, no, 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 no. You're not the alpha male. I'm the alpha male or I'm the alpha female, right? And the mind wants to be on top and it wants this pecking order. So you've got to be comfortable with just observing that, okay, if this person is projecting a certain amount of arrogance or pride or conceit, just let them do it. That's their life. It's not affecting you. You're allowing it to affect you. It's affecting them because people don't like to be around someone who's arrogant or prideful or egotistical or having conceit. So it's better to just disengage from it and, and not allow the mind to now project your arrogance or your pride or your conceit, your ego comes out because somebody else's ego comes out. So you need to just let go and allow that person to do whatever they're choosing to do and not allow your mind to get absorbed into, no, I want to be the alpha male or I want to be the alpha female because that's only going to result in harm to you into your own practice. So just like I was sharing earlier, Focus on being a nobody. It's a lot of work to be a nobody, right? We think about how much work it is to actually be a somebody. If you think it's a lot of work to be a somebody, it's a surely a lot of work to be a nobody. So put in the work to be a nobody and make it so that not that you're disparaging yourself or that you have negative self-talk, but make it so that you don't need to be on top of everybody else when things are going on. We're going to talk about this in chapter 16 when we talk about dissolving the ego. I've got a whole bunch of things that I'm going to share with you about how to dissolve the ego because here what this chapter is about is like individual craving desire attachments like mental longing for things like a phone or children or certain situations. But what you guys are starting to ask questions about, which is fine, is the uh, individual fetters 
which is like personal existence view, conceit, the fear of death and things like this. These are all things related to the fetters, which is great if that's what you guys would like to focus on. But those are a bit more involved than what we're talking about here today in today's class. Sometimes just arriving late to work can arise discontentedness in the mind. So how can one deal with this? Okay, so see, these are some of the more simple ones that we're talking about today. So, so yes, yeah, so depending on where you live, depending on what kind of boss or what kind of employer you have, there's oftentimes this pressure to, to show up at a certain time. In some cultures, if you're five minutes early, you're already late. Even if you're five minutes early, you're already late. Uh, for some people, that's the way they look at it, right? So you've got to get used to understanding that you're not always going to be on time. And while with work, that's really significant and you need to make efforts to show up on time or early, you've got this whole private life where you don't necessarily have to put that pressure on yourself. So if I were you, I would train the mind to start talking with people when you make appointments in ranges. Instead of saying, I'll be there at five o'clock, say, you know, I'll be there somewhere between five and 5.15. And then that gives you kind of a range in which to show up and the mind can feel more comfortable. Here in Thailand, when we make appointments, if we say, I'm going to be there at five, everybody kind of knows that we're making our best effort to get there at five, but we don't put a lot of pressure on ourselves. Here in Thailand, you're not really late until like 5.15, 5.20. You don't even think about calling somebody and telling them you're going to be late until 5.15 or 5.20. But even when we think about being late here in Thailand, when you show up, you're not made to feel guilty or shameful that you've shown up at 5.15 or even 5.30. People just know that impermanence and that's just the way it, the world works and yeah I made the best effort to show up on time we don't even have to go through this long drawn out conversation when we show up at 5:30 explaining why we showed up at 5:30 i remember in america if somebody was even 5 minutes late there was like this long drawn out conversation explaining why we're late because we're made to feel guilty or shameful that we've shown up at 5:05 for example so You've got to let this go that even if other people around you are putting this pressure on you to show up at a certain time, and that might be what the culture dictates, that doesn't mean that you need to adopt that same type of thinking and that same way of being. So when you make appointments with people, you can say, I'll be here between 5 and 5.15, and then make every attempt to show up at 5, but if you don't show up at 5, then just gradually, calmly continue to make your way towards that appointment. And if you show up at 5.05 or 5.10, then you're completely comfortable with that. So this is a one that people are oftentimes very challenged with. Now with work, it's, it's very different, right? Like you would like to show up on time because this is a very important matter for a lot of workplaces to show up on time. But even here in Thailand, in professional environments, if your employees show up at 15 minutes after, 20 minutes after, that's still on time in Thailand. We don't have this enormous amount of pressure that we put on people to, to show up at a certain time. So it's not like that in every culture, but you don't have to adopt that same level of thinking. So find a way that you can feel comfortable with telling people you're going to show up at a certain time and then just generally work towards that goal 
without putting a lot of pressure on yourself. Because if you were pressuring yourself to show up on time and you got in a car accident or you had another problem along the way, I don't think your friend or your boss is going to want that either. So just take your time and just if you need to leave earlier, then leave earlier and just make your way towards certain things that you're doing. And if people are such sticklers for time, even your boss or friends, you might want to reevaluate whether it makes sense for you to work at this place or whether it makes sense for you to have these friends that are trying to beat you up over the head because you showed up at 501 or 505. Personally, for me, if I had friends that were being disparaging or attempting to put pressure on me because I showed up at 505, I probably wouldn't make too many more appointments with those people, if any at all, because, uh, or I would try to sort out with them and help them understand that they shouldn't expect me to show up at a specific time. So you might have to reevaluate some of the relationships that you're in or some of the jobs that we are maybe having that if there's this real excessive pressure to show up at a specific time, this isn't going to produce peacefulness in the mind if you've got people pressuring you this way. Seems that Nana has a question. That's good to hear. Yes, um, teacher David, I thought maybe if you can expand on um, the mind, perhaps holding on to a sense of having to be accountable um, in this, uh, in, in Basim's example, for example, you know, for coming to work late or waking up late and arriving to work late um while that can sort of be um one can slide with that a few times it it's not acceptable and so your accountability and responsibility is um you know is doubted about what you can do and how you can perform um so just briefly uh, for the last 10 days my husband's not been at the home and I've had tremendous difficulty in the past to have a full night's sleep and in the last 10 days um, much of the um, hesitation to sleep and to have to have restful sleep is due to some some internal fears and safety for the home and for the children in the home, but I've been able to overcome some of that fear and I've had a decent amount of sleep and I wake up with uh, feeling restful. However, in the morning, I sense that, um, you know, I've, I've not been accountable to other things. So at this point, I'm not sure where that craving lies. Yeah, so you've shared some of this with me before. It sounds like the mind's craving for your husband to be in the home and the mind's not comfortable with that impermanence. So it would be wise for him to do these things where he does go out and you are at home regularly and you train the mind to be content whether he's home or whether he's away. That's really important. The other thing is, is when you're in a two-person household like that and one person goes away, then you can't crave. It sounds like you are, but you shouldn't crave for this household to run exactly the same way whether your husband's there or he's not because if there's two adults in the home conducting things in a certain way when 50 percent of that support system goes away certain things in the home aren't going to happen in the same way that they happen when you guys were together 
the problem is that the mind's craving for things to happen that way. So using some examples from my life, when my wife and I are here together, the house functions in one way, but there are times where like she went away to America for three months and I just knew that things weren't going to function the same way with her being gone and the plates were going to stack up a little bit more. The house wasn't going to get swept as frequently as it does when she's around and both of us and all of us are working together. Clothes aren't going to get cleaned as readily. So you've got to a one side get comfortable with your husband being away and you being a home. And then the other part of that craving, it sounds like you have to get comfortable with knowing that the house isn't going to function the same way. And if you crave that permanence that it does function the same way with only one adult in the home doing things, then the mind's going to be discontent in that situation. So having your husband go away regularly like this would be really helpful for you. And also in terms of the teaching, should I be, be understanding the results of my um, lack of occasionally oversleeping or not being timely for morning duties as part of my gamma? Yeah, it's part of your gamma. Everything that you experience in life is part of your gamma because remember it's cause and effect or action and result. Because there's this craving in the mind for your husband to be there, when he's not there, your mind's being shaken up you're finding it harder to sleep, so therefore you're oversleeping, and now you're showing up to work later. So this is the cause and effect, or the action and result. So by you eradicating this craving and getting comfortable with sleeping normally when your husband's away, then you can get your regular sleep, and you can wake up and show up to work in other places at your normal time. That would be your gamma as well. So that's why by eradicating craving anger and ignorance, we improve our gamma because we're now being able to function without this pollution of mind. So all of what you're experiencing in life, everything is always your gamma, but not as punishment and re rewards, but as just cause and effect. Right. I'm just trying to find out the root of the craving because on the one end, I um, have um, work towards understanding um, that there is a fear in the nighttime and that in order for me to have a uh, restful sleep, I will need to eliminate that fear in the nighttime and not hold on to any kind of um, conception in, in the mind of anything happening which hasn't ha happened. <clears throat> and so in order for me to overcome that obstacle and to work towards progress, it seems like on the other end, there's this um, aftermath in the morning where I do, in fact, have a good sleep, but it ends up being a little bit later in the night. And then I wake up a little bit later in the day, in the morning. And so it seems counter, um, I'm not sure what the word is, but it seems like the morning should have a uh, appropriate flow. However, um, I, have, um, I have to now, work through this discontentedness which um, I you know experience in the morning of not being able to achieve waking up on time or to you know to check in on time where I need to be so it seems as though I'm working towards one goal and then there's a secondary sort of goal that now needs to be evaluated and um, for the mind to kind of understand that this is also discontentedness 
Yeah, I'm hearing multiple cravings there. One is craving husband to be home, right? There's craving to be always feel safe and that you should feel safe. So you're craving to be in this world and craving to have this physical body be a certain way. There's craving to wake up at a certain time and wanting that permanent time to wake up. There's craving to be at work at a certain time and always showing up at that same time. So all of this stuff is all craving, desire, attachment that's leading to the discontentedness. So I would like to ask you a question, Manal. Do you and your husband sleep in the same bed together? Not all the time, no. Okay. That was going to be one of my suggestions to you, that oftentimes when couples sleep in the same bed together, the mind gets attached to being in the same bed with their partner. And then when their partner is away on some kind of trip, a business trip or a personal trip or what have you, the people have trouble sleeping because the mind's kind of used to the partner being there and being in a bed alone isn't normal for the, the mind and it has difficulty sleeping. So I was going to suggest that even when he's home, that you guys sometimes sleep apart from each other to train the mind to experience that impermanence and be content with it. But surely it sounds like your husband being away regularly would be really helpful for you. And I think at one time he he was before COVID, he would travel more with work. I can't remember your life, but that would be really, really helpful for you guys to experience that on a regular and ongoing basis. Yes, um, that's a really great reminder and to continue to practice that and to have those experiences occur. Uh, where I'm, I don't have, to, you know, where he is not in the home and an expected sort of night or day schedule. Yeah, and see, this is different, you know, counterintuitive to what the unenlightened mind wants to do. The unenlightened mind wants to hold on to husband and keep him in the house. And I know you don't do this, Manal, but some people might be angry at the husband for leaving or the wife for leaving or their partner for leaving. And there might be some hostility in conversations now that this person has left. And this is where the unskillful behaviors start to manifest as a result of our own cravings of wanting the partner to be in the house all the time, where holding on to the partner and keeping them in the house all the time doesn't actually solve the problem. What solves the problem is The mind's uncomfortable with this impermanence of the husband being outside the house. So you know what? Let's keep having the husband leave the house on regular basis until the mind submits and it lets go of this craving and it can maintain its contentedness, whether the husband is in the home or outside the home. And this is how you liberate the mind from this craving. As long as we try to hold on to husband and keeping him in the house, that actually keeps the craving going. But by letting husband go and having him go regularly and just training the mind to be content alone at home, this is where the mind gets liberated. If the husband's home or not home, the mind can be perfectly content and joyful either way. And that's what you would like to work towards. And the only way to get to that is to have husband leaving regularly. I really appreciate your thoughts shared here. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, we have a, another question from T on Facebook. She'll, she's asking, our healthy physical body is the only thing that helps us stay in this mindfulness until our death, isn't it? How can we take care of our health without having attachments to the physical body? How can we do it? 
Right. So this is all about the middle way. If you remember chapter 6T, when we talked about the middle way, what craving desire attachment is, is holding on really tight, right? And this mental longing, wanting to be perfectly healthy all the time. And there's this longing and strong eagerness for health. That isn't healthy and it's not sustainable because you can't maintain permanent health. But also being over here where the mind's complacent and it doesn't do anything for the health of this physical body, that's not sustainable either. That's not going to produce beneficial outcomes. So you find that middle way where you're pursuing health as a goal, objective, and as an interest, but it's not holding it really tight, and it's also not complacent with it either. So you work towards these things as goals, objectives, and interests, knowing full well that this physical body is going to become unhealthy at certain times. Because this physical body is impermanent, it can't maintain permanent health. The only thing you can do is try to support that health through good hygiene, through good food intake, maybe some exercise, maybe some vitamins or things, depending on what it is that you choose to do for health, that you do that as a goal, as an objective, as an interest, and you work towards improved health, but all the while knowing that this physical body is decaying every single second, essentially. You know, we grow and then we just gradually decline in age. The physical body gradually declines. So even though you work towards maintaining health, you don't crave it or hold on to it or cling to it as if it's going to be permanent. That's where the mind can become discontent. As you guys hear, I've been sick for the last four or five days and I got it from my son. So rather than being angry or frustrated or irritated that I've been sick, I just realized that I was sick. I, I was sick for about a day or so and I realized it was pretty strong. Asked my wife to get some medicine from the pharmacy because here in Thailand, the pharmacist can diagnose you and give you medicine so I didn't have to go to the doctor. So I started taking some medicines and then I started joking with my son. I was like, wow, Bailan, you're so generous. You're practicing giving and sharing. You gave daddy a cold. That was you know, really nice of you. And you didn't just give me like a low quality cold. You gave me like a really high quality one, you know, deep coughing and fever and kind of awake at night sometimes. This is like really good quality cold. I just want to commend you on practicing generosity so well, right? So rather than being angry or frustrated about being sick, just realize like, ah, oh, this physical body is going to be sick sometimes. It's impermanent. And almost kind of laugh it off and joke it off. And him and I have been kind of joking about that, about how he's practiced generosity by giving me a, a cold and, and a really good quality one too. Uh, one that I haven't had for, for quite a while. I haven't been this sick for a while. So you've got to recognize that the, the body's going to experience this sickness. And, and that's normal. That's part of the natural laws of existence. That's the universal truth of impermanence. The problem isn't that the body's sick. The problem is that the mind wants to be healthy. That's the problem. The mind's wanting it, longing for it, having this strong eagerness, right? The mind's not recognizing like, yeah, you're going to be sick sometimes. You know, get over it. That's just the normal way that it's going to function. And oh, you can't do the normal things that you normally do. You can't go outside. You can't ride a bike. You can't go to work maybe, okay, well, those things are impermanent too. You can't do those things permanently. So just be sick, right? 
Because one of the things that happens is we get so caught up in our life, right? We get so busy, so busy, so busy. Everyone's going to work. And people might go around and complain about how busy they are and how, man, they're just so tired and they're working so much. Gosh, I wish I could just take a break from all this work. Well, then when we get sick and it's time to take a break, it's like, ah, I don't want to take a break. I want to be working. I want to be out there doing something. Why do I have to be just sitting here laying in bed? Hold on a second. Last week, the mind was complaining that you didn't get enough rest and you were too busy working. Now you're resting because the body's sick and now the mind's complaining that you want to be out there working. So this is where the mind's never content and peaceful just where it's at. So you've got to train the mind that, okay, when I need to work, I need to work and I need to take care of work and let me just handle all these work affairs. And when I'm resting and I'm sick and I need to get some rest, then let me just rest and be sick. That's impermanence. And let me just do a really good job at being sick. And let me eat good food. Let me take some medicine. Let me rest and get all those things that I need to get healthy. But it's when the mind is sick and it wants to be healthy, that is the problem. Or when we're working a whole lot and we want to rest, that's the problem. It's the want so we've got to find that middle way where we can be peaceful, calm, serene, content with joy, pursuing things as a goal, an objective, or an interest, just being satisfied with what is. The body's sick? Okay, that's fine. Let me apply some wise decision-making in order to have this sickness be as impermanent as possible. Let me work towards improved health. And then when you're healthy, you should just always know at some point you're going to get sick because that health is impermanent. You should be expecting it. When you get a cold, it's like, oh, that makes sense. There, the body's impermanent. I can't be permanently healthy. So it's when the mind wants permanence, permanent health, or permanent relaxation, or permanent wealth, or permanent money, or they want our partner to be with us permanently, or our children to be with us permanently, or any of that permanence that the mind's craving, that's when the mind experiences discontentedness. So we got to let all that go and realize that all this stuff is impermanent and just pursue it as a goal, objective, or an interest. Hey, right. I have a coworker who I, I am have an aversion towards him because of his work ethic. He comes to work late, leaves early, take long lunch break, and constantly looking at the phone. Please advise, how should I manage my discontentedness towards this coworker? The current situation at my work is we do not have a direct manager. That's why he is able to get away with it. Okay, so think of it this way. If this coworker did everything perfectly, exactly the way that you wanted him to do it or her to do it, would your life be perfect at that point? Or would you still have other things that are bothering the mind? You still have other things bothering the mind, right? So this coworker isn't the problem, as you're probably aware that whether this coworker does their task or don't do the task, the mind's still going to be discontent. The problem that you're experiencing is not that the coworker is complacent and not doing the work. The problem you're experiencing is that the mind wants the coworker to do something specific. All you can do is do what you can do. You wake up with a certain amount of time in your day. 
you have a certain amount of energy and effort that you can put forth in your task. You do those things and then you're done. And if your coworker isn't contributing or isn't doing work, then that's on them. They're going to face the consequences of that. But you sitting there being discontent because of what someone else is doing or not doing, it's only causing you problems. So you've got to let go of wanting your coworker to function in a certain way because your coworkers are never going to function the way you want them to function. Never, never, never. They're never going to function the way you want them to function. So you've just got to realize that you're working at this place. You have certain roles and responsibilities. You're going to fulfill those to the best of your abilities. And then you're going to experience the results of having fulfilled your roles and responsibilities accordingly. And they're going to experience the results of them not fulfilling their roles or responsibilities accordingly. So let go of wanting other people in your life to do things a certain way and realize that their actions affect them and that they're going to experience the consequences of those actions or inaction. I have a struggle which is similar to Ali's one. A, uh, typically, once a week, our the big family uh, gathers and meet in the uh, family house. Uh, mom, dad, uh, siblings, and their children. Uh, what happens is that when my uh, nephews and niece come, it's not like children who are coming to meet and uh, spend a good time with their grandpa or grandma. It's like invaders who are coming to destroy everything in the house. <laughs> so the mind is not able to be content all the time with this. Everything is being broken everywhere. <laughs> so how to deal with this situation? Yeah, the mind doesn't like that impermanence, right? All these kids and different people coming in, you have the house set up in a certain way and you want it to be a certain way. And when you're inviting guests over to your home when it's children you have to understand that especially depending on what their age is there's not as as much wisdom as if you were inviting adults over to your home for example so there's going to be things like this that happen all you can do is make wise decisions if you've got certain things that are really important to you put them in a safe place you know your home might not be childproof because you don't have children but if you've ever had children then you know depending on their age, there's kind of a certain level on your tables and that you've got to put things up in a way, depending on what their ages are. You just got to recognize anything below that level is subject to extreme impermanence when four-year-olds, five-year-olds come into your home. That's just part of it all in training the mind to not hold on and cling to these things. But of course, there are certain things in people's homes that they like to keep nice and that's where if you have this wisdom that young children are coming over and these things are easily broken and you'd like to keep them then you just put them away until they're gone and then you put back once they're gone you put back those things to the place that you would normally have them that's the way that i would handle it if i was you because you're not going to be able to control these children to to function in a certain way if their parents aren't able to do that then you're not going to be able to do that so Rather than try to control the people, put your objects, the things that you would like to keep safe, put those away. That would be something that you do have the ability to protect. Many thanks, Richard. No more questions for today. All right. 
Well, there wasn't as many examples along this line as I thought there might have been. I didn't have any expectation of what there should or shouldn't be, but I thought we might have some more examples along these lines. But I think that you guys at least understand what it is that I'm sharing with you guys is that this discontentedness is the red light. That's the red light on the dashboard telling you, of course, that you're not yet enlightened, but it's also telling you that there's craving desire attachment there. And once you let go of the discontentedness, you can then reflect and look internally and see what craving desire attachments that are there that have caused this discontentedness. And if you can uncover those, that's where you can get to liberation. Because if you just keep sweeping the dust under the carpet and every time you get angry, you just get angry and you're like, oh, well, I was angry or, oh, well, I was frustrated or, oh, well, I was had fear or, oh, well, I was bored or, oh, well, I was shy. And you just keep looking past it. You're not really addressing the real problem. So when you experience this discontentedness, this red light on your dashboard, pull over, pop open the hood, look internally and see what were the craving desire attachments that led to it. And as you go in your life over six months, a year, two years, there's going to be certain things that are causing discontentedness. And early on, there's going to be more situations that are causing discontentedness. But as you start eliminating those craving, desire and attachments, the discontentedness is going to get further and farther between. You're going to have these longer and longer periods of peacefulness and calmness in the mind. As you need help to identify what your craving, desire attachments are, you know you have these four methods, asking questions in classes, sending a private message, posting in the Facebook group, or reaching out for personal guidance, and I will help you to identify what these cravings are. And there are certain ones that you really need to put a real specific plan in place to be able to address it and eliminate it. And that's what's really producing the peacefulness in the mind is the elimination of the craving desire attachment. There's this misunderstanding or this misperception that it's meditation that's going to get you to enlightenment. Meditation is just one tool to train the mind to get rid of craving desire attachment. It's craving desire attachment that's causing the discontentedness. So you've got to eliminate that. Meditation is just one tool to help us do that, but also generosity and also what I'm sharing with you here today to more actively identify through analysis of the mind what these cravings are and then putting a plan together to actually eradicate them from the mind. So be sure to look at this. If you haven't read the chapter, be sure to read the chapter either before or after class or maybe both before and after so that you can see what I wrote there and then ask for any help that you'd like along the way. Next Sunday, we're going to be in chapter 14, which is a relatively short chapter. I think it's only two or three pages long, so it's a really easy read. It's about cultivating healthy mental states. This is loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. These are called the Brahma Viharas. These are four healthy mental states that every practitioner would need to cultivate in practice in order to attain enlightenment. So we're going to be discussing what those four mental states are and how to cultivate them in your life practice so that you can then practice with loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. We'll be doing that next Sunday. This Wednesday, we're going to be doing breathing mindfulness meditation together in our class on Wednesday. 
So I'll see you either Sunday or Wednesday, maybe even both of those days. And remember, you always have the replays to be able to take in this content whenever you're not able to make the live class. So I'll see you in a future class. Have a very lovely rest of your weekend. We'll see you next time. Sawadee Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment. Enlightenment.